listening to It's Complicated with your hosts, Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. Hello, Master Daters. Welcome back for another episode of It's Complicated. The struggle is real when you're dating in the city. I'm Jen. And I'm Lauren. Wow, and we're your resident best friends, here to help you along your relationship journey. Just think of us as your very own little fun fairies. We're going to bring joy to the process and sprinkle love dust all over the place because, like we always say, it takes a village and we're your village and community. And you can find us at It's Complicated Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell a friend. Guys, this is so helpful because we have a loyal and growing audience and we want to bring this audience fabulous offers and all of your sharing and caring and telling a friend helps support us and keep the lights on for our village. So please contribute to the village and tell a friend. I felt it in my gut. How many times have you said that? What is your gut exactly? And how well can you tap into your intuition? If you're feeling anxiety due to the state of the world and all the changes on the horizon, then you are not alone. This is the best time to tap into your inner self and utilize your sixth sense when it comes to all types of relationships in your life, because that might be the only thing you can consistently rely on at this point. We are thanking our lucky stars that we have New York Times bestselling author and practicing intuitive Laura Day in to discuss why anxiety is not intuition, the four crisis response types, five ways to unlock your intuition, how to use your sixth sense in love, and more. Oh man, these are always our favorite types of shows. So Laura has spent nearly four decades helping individuals, organizations, and companies harness and develop their innate intuitive abilities to create profound change. Newsweek Magazine calls her the $10,000 a month psychic, adding, when business people need a crystal ball, they turn to consult Laura Day, the intuitionist. The Independent dubbed her the psychic of Wall Street. A-list Hollywood stars and Wall Street executives praise her ability to predict future events including the 2008 recession, with astounding accuracy. As uh, Brad Pitt has said, I believe in the gut and I believe in Laura Day. Wow. Wow. If Brad says it, then who cares what those other platforms say? Brad Pitt wins. Laura's work has helped demystify intuition and bring it into the mainstream. She's trained thousands of people and companies to use their brains, perceptions, and sixth sense in effective ways to realize their goals. She's the author of six best-selling books, Practical Intuition, Practical Intuition in Love, Practical Intuition in Success, The Circle, Welcome to Your Crisis, and How to Rule the World from Your Couch, which we have all been spending lots of time on these past few months. Yeah, how perfect is that, right? Laura has been featured in publications that include Newsweek, New York Magazine, The Independent, Bottom Line, Cosmopolitan, Marie Claire, Stella, Forbes, and People. She's also appeared on numerous TV networks and programs, including CNN, Fox News, Good Morning America, The View, Extra, and We Saved the Best for Last, uh, The Oprah Winfrey Show. Yeah. Uh, she was on the Oprah show and you're in luck because now she's here and you get some intuition. You get some intuition. You all get some intuition. Welcome to the show, Laura. First and foremost, how are you doing with everything that's going on right now? 
I am doing well. I feel very fortunate. Um, one of the wonderful things that precognition telling the future allows you to do is even if you don't see what's coming, you prepare for it. So I was, I was prepared to transition my career. Um, I was, you know, my home was prepared. My family was prepared. And this has been, in a sense, uh, a really lovely opportunity to just have some insular time with my husband. And I think my, my son's thrilled to have a little more autonomy. He just got married. So it's, it's, it's all worked out, you know, it's all worked out well. And I've really, really enjoyed something I thought I'd never enjoy, which is I've been doing so many free Zoom workshops. And I, I, I'm really not a computer media person. I was born in 1959. An electric typewriter was something that I thought was really avant-garde. And so I've, I've embraced this, which I never thought would happen. And, and I've formed a whole new community. So it's been, I feel, I feel very grateful and and very fortunate and very wanting to, to kind of share the good fortune. Is that some advice that you think, you mentioned being prepared. How can you kind of be prepared like in everything in life, like backup plan, career, love, without being like negative, like, oh, well, in case this relationship doesn't work out, where am I going to go next? Like, obviously it's not that negative, but how do you keep that sort of preparedness in the back of your mind so you don't get caught off guard by something, but you're living in the present and you're enjoying what's happening and you don't, you're not acting like you have some sort of a backup plan because you're worried. Well, you know, you brought up so many good questions in one question. Uh, one is how, how, how can you be prepared? And the other is how can you not be negative about relationships and not have a plan B? So I'm going to please remind me of the second part of that question. But the first part, um, how am I prepared? One of the things that I do, I've written six books, but there's one of them that I do every day, really as a daily practice called The Circle. And it was my, uh, my inner response to, if I'm so psychic, if I'm so good at moving energy as a healer, why is my life so messed up? And I, um, I guess I, I downloaded it. It's one of the few books I did not write, I actually downloaded from God knows where, um, about 20 something years ago, really, really a long time ago, almost 30 years ago, but I, did, it wasn't, I didn't publish it for another decade. And, and the answer to that question was that the subconscious is subconscious. And that, that even if you have a good sense of the future, even if you are telepathic, even if you have all of these special abilities, it really doesn't matter unless you do certain things to integrate, to get yourself subconscious on board and to be able to do things in actionable ways. You know, you can know everything, but if you are not able to act on it, you really uh, it's, it's really senseless. And I think, you know, we all have a glut, we're flooded with information, correct information and incorrect information. And often it doesn't really help us make better decisions. It sometimes impedes us from making better decisions because we are so overwhelmed that we have no idea uh, how to make the decision. And there are many things 
that really don't help us. Like often, you know, we'll say, oh, there's a study that says uh, drinking a liter of vodka a day is good. Well, maybe there are three people in that study. So we often don't know the criteria with, by which we should value our information. So what the circle does and what intuition does is it really gives you the criteria. So the circle demands that you have a goal. That, it, that you choose a goal, even if you, you know, you have 10, that you choose the one that you really are desperately hungry for. Because by the way, your subconscious isn't going to be so on board with, I should be more neat and clean, totally on board with, I should find the person who's going to love me because I'm so lonely. So, so if I really, um, intuition helped me download a methodology that first was really, really saved my life. Um, and then, uh, and then I created, like I do with everything in my life, uh, in a system for other people to engage intellect, intellect, intuition, emotion, their community in those elements that, that create something wonderful. But the first step, and everyone can do it now as they're listening, is what's your biggest wish? Not your biggest need. What's your biggest wish? What's the one you go to bed hungry for and you wake up sad without? What is your biggest wish? Because all you need is a magnet and then all the pieces organize around it. And that's the way intuition works. And in many ways, that's the way life works. Your second question though was really interesting, which is how do we, how do we prepare without being negative, especially in love? How do we not have a plan B? Here's the reality. Love doesn't work with a plan B. What, what, and I'm not talking about, you know, loving friendships because that sometimes is, but a partnered love doesn't work with a plan B because the degree to which you are out of a relationship, which is what a plan B requires, is, is the degree to which you don't have power in that relationship either. So relationship is really about being all in because also when you're all in, you know what's wrong. When you're half in and half out, you can let a lot of things slip. But when you're all in, you don't let things slip. The reality is that the hardest thing in life is attachment. I am very anti-non-attachment because attachment is it takes so much courage. We will lose everything. I guarantee every one of you will lose everything. I will lose everything. I will lose what I have. I will lose my life. I will lose who I love. But what life is, is having the, the strength and the integrity to be totally committed to your choices and to have the self-love that when those choices are unable to be healthy ones, that then from being wholly in, you can also move yourself wholly out. Okay. So, wow, that was a lot and really important stuff. So we want to unpack some of it little by little so we can understand how we can get to those points. Um I think one thing also we want to touch on is you mentioned again, like Lauren said, um, that you prepared for something coming. Did you actually foresee 2020 unfolding in this way? Or did you just, do you just feel or have an intuition that it's going to be a major thing? How did you actually prepare without necessarily knowing? 
So one of the things that, that training intuition does is that you integrate a sense of the future in your present. So you don't go somewhere else. You don't even always know what it is you're preparing for, but in a very organic way, your mindfulness includes an awareness of the future. I'm going to give you my best example, which was on 9-11. I live a few blocks from the World Trade Center. And a few weeks before 9-11, all of a sudden, my son and I went into a happy, joyful apocalypse kick. We thought, you know, stuff happens. And we ordered things like duct tape and air filters. And I took, I don't know, ten or $15,000 at the bank in cash. And we got my, my father was practicing medicine. Then I got masks from his office. And we just thought, well, you know what? If there's an apocalypse, we're ready. We didn't, if, if we had seen 9-11, we both would have need, needed really good psych meds and a hell of a lot of therapy. But we didn't. We just, it just kind of came to our awareness that it never hurts to be prepared. Well, my son went to St. Anne's at the time, which is right across the Brooklyn Bridge, saw the plane, saw the plane hit. I also was on the street having just dropped him off, saw the plane hit. And immediately what I had been preparing for and what had happened made sense in a way that it didn't frighten me, but that I could respond to it. I lived between two schools. I knew no one was going to attack Brooklyn. I mean, Brooklyn's hotter now, but back in 2001, wasn't so hot. So I thought, okay, I have time. I made sure my friend's children got home from school. I was able to pay motorcyclists to take them home, which I know sounds dangerous, but there was no alternative at the time. I had water for everyone. I had masks for everyone. I had cash for everyone. I had duct tape to seal my windows before I left my apartment, which then I was not allowed to go back to for a month. I had, we had, I had a bug out bag ready with such essentials as my favorite perfume and Game Boy. I had all kinds of things without ever having had to see it. I didn't freak out about 9-11 until many months after it happened because I had been prepared without seeing it. With, the, with what went on in 2020, um, with the pandemic, my response was more, um, was very much the same. I, 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 I had stocked my house. I had, by the time there was a run on toilet paper, I had more toilet paper to share with my neighbors. I could have wiped the butts of the whole neighborhood. Um, I, I had um, not scheduled, I was, I was going to do an in-person tour across Europe with Soho House. And for some reason I hung back, even though I was really eager to do it on scheduling travel and the dates. Um, I, you know, I had done all these things without being aware of it. What I did consciously predict was that the market was going to tank, but that it wasn't, um, that, it, that it was not going to be like it was in 08 or whatever, really, the last time I predicted it. Um, I, 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 so I called in July, I think it was, I called my broker and I said, listen, I know in December, I'm going to be giving you my retirement money. Don't put it in the market because I think it's going to tank around February or March. And she didn't. And I had cash to invest when the market was low. Um, that I did consciously know. I did not consciously know about the pandemic, but because what intuition does is kind of give you receptors 
for what you need to do in reaction to the future in the present. I had everything uh, very well prepared. Um, and, and you don't want to know a lot of information that you could misinterpret that could grow you. You know, when you're reading for someone else, it's different. You're detached. You're not going to have a crisis response or a reaction. But when you're integrating intuition in your own life, you want it to take care of stuff without giving you another thing to think about. So in a sense, what I train my students to do is use intuition in two very different ways. One is to, in the circle, we call it coherence. Know what your, your important areas are. Staying alive, definitely one of them. Having toilet paper, definitely one of them. Your finances, your relationships, your family, your health. So know what your, your sphere, not a washing list of 50 things, five things, six things. You know, the, what, are the, what makes up the pie of your life? And then have a single goal that may be unrelated in a sense, to the issues of that pie, but that opens your sensors. And then what happens is intuition, which we all have, there's no such thing as a psychic, everyone's intuitive. And I have been teaching this for 40 years to non-believers, to banks, you know, to drug companies. Um, it, it, is, it is, what happens is that you, you get an alert in a way that you can be, take action. You know, had I seen a pandemic, I wouldn't have been able to take action. I would have gotten very scattered and anxious. But just saying, gee, I have a lot of storage. I'm in a four-story house in Chelsea, London. A lot of storage. I may as well buy all the paper towel and toilet paper and food and this and that and powdered milk. And I bought all of these things. And I, you know, I have the storage. Why not? But it ended up being exactly the right thing to do. And that's really um, how intuition works. But what the mistake people make is everybody wants to know about the future. It's not about the future. Your attention needs to be in the present with, in a sense, alerts for the future and simultaneously with a commitment to reframe the past in an empowering way. You know, you live life uh, not not in a straight line, but in a in a circle, in a real continuum that goes in and out of itself. So, so both past, present, and future, which should be experienced in the moment mindfully, uh, come together to create a, a, an effective, functional uh, reality. And some of that's hard to do because the subconscious is subconscious. You know, that past, I, I always say to my students, you spend your entire life unraveling those first six years. Yeah, the, um, a lot of people mention like childhood traumas, and I know you discussed that have probably discussed that, but you mentioned, um, and, and how that affects like everything you do really, it always surfaces, I guess, in the end, but how you mentioned obviously having intuition and gut and remaining in the present, how, and you teach this to people, how, like, what is one good tip for specifically trying to know the difference between like gut and anxiety? Because, I am an anxious person. I'm sure there's a lot of anxious people in the world and especially right now. How do you differentiate if you're trying to live in the present and you're trying to access any intuition for any sort of preparedness without being negative? Like I guess that would be differentiating between anxiety and gut. How do you how do you tell? What does that feel like? Most of the time you can't be, because 
Uh, first of all, um, intuition about your own life rarely comes through with any kind of feeling. It usually comes through as a very detached, uh, verifiable perception. It's data. Whereas your feelings are usually neurotic or your feelings can also be something, an awareness, an intuitive awareness that you are trying to repress and the anxiety of repressing it. The perfect example is someone fooling around. You know, your, your, your intuition's telling you this person's not being loyal. You don't want to see it. You feel disempowered to act on it. So you spend a lot of energy repressing it and that creates anxiety. But in reality, you can't when you're when you can't say, oh, with any kind of certainty, this is anxiety and and this is this is precognition. This is a real sense of telling the future or knowing something in the present that I wouldn't otherwise know except by intuition. Um, but what it's not so much what you perceive, it's what you do with it. So so if you are afraid of something. Is there an action you can take now that is a healthy action uh, to address this fear? And often when you pinpoint an action, going out of the, that, that kind of reactive animal part of your brain that's anxious allows intuition to have its clarity. But the, the most powerful um, and, you know, I think anxiety is also anxiety. People who are anxious and people who are controlling often go very hand in hand. And they're also usually very intuitive people um, because intuition is a state of hyper awareness. You know, people always I see my students, they take a deep breath and they relax and their little eyes roll up in their heads. And I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, but it's not <laughs> intuition. Because intuition is being fully present, so you can either report to another your perceptions or you can act on them. It's being fully present, fully engaged, and it is a state of hyper-awareness. A Zen monk sitting on a mountain does not need to know what to do, does not need to be intuitive. A soldier, an ER nurse, someone on the floor of the stock exchange, those people are our intuitives. So it's really important to demystify uh, intuition, but also to demystify fear. You know, there are four anxiety types. I wrote a book called Welcome to Your Crisis, and I really uh, called in favors. I've done a lot of pro bono work for hospitals and drug companies, and a lot in the area of mental health and neurology. And, and there are four categories that, that we fall into that we react to. So, you know, fear may be yours, but, but rage and it's, and it's, you know, close cousin shame may be someone else's, whereas depression and its close cousin inactivity may be another where denial, you know, and its close cousin of non-connection may be another. So it really depends. And we all have different kind of neurotic reactive styles and they don't change over a lifetime. You know, I can go into a nursery group of 30 nursery school children and I can tell you what all of their types are just by observation, not by intuition. We really, by the time, you know, we're three or four, we are a type and that that's, you know, part of our our hard wiring, both from experience and from genetics. Um, so you can't differentiate. And so it's really important to say, is there something I need to do about this? 
So, okay, what are the different types? And it, you mentioned being able to spot it within children that you're observing, but you know, obviously now we're living in a very digital world and you have both Lauren and I on the phone. Um, are you able, if we were to give you some sort of answer to a question to be able to diagnose our anxiety types? I, um, I think it's better for people to self-diagnose, but I can tell your listener how different people can self-diagnose because there's, there's kind of, there's a test in the book, but there's a, quick there's a quick thought experiment that that I think most people are self-aware enough to do and that is when when uh if you got fired or when someone takes something from you what is your response do you assume that you are never going to have anything as good again and take it into the future and freeze into inactivity and seek reassurance everywhere and really just scatter so much that you can't respond, then you're an anxiety type. Do you just not even bother, you know, if you're fired cleaning out your desk, say, oh, you know, this was inevitable and go home and kind of do nothing, maybe don't even tell anyone, don't even look for a job, stop even basic hygiene, you're a depression type. Um, if you are furious, someone took your crayons or someone fired you and you alienate everyone around you, creating more problems, you're a rage type. If you are fired from your job and you go out and shop for shoes, allowing problems to pile up, you're a denial type. And they all have their you know, each type has their gift. A, a rage type is has the gift of passion and what you want to do. If you know that you are reactive as a rage type, you what you want to do is put that, discharge the rage by exercise, for example, and put that put that energy into activity because you're the kind of person who can take a lump of clay and build a city. Um, you know, if you're a denial type, one of your gifts is that you can filter out what isn't important. And so you are incredibly effective. So denial types need to do something when something anyone else would think is bad, because for a denial type, it's always someone else. I, I said in Welcome to Your Crisis, if you're a denial type, you bought this book for someone else. Um, but but a denial type once you're able to feel watch you know watch a video that makes you laugh uh until you cry um you know listen to a sad song whatever your trigger is once you can reconnect to yourself through feeling you have the ability to effectively address only the things that need to be done and to solve your problem and everybody else's in a moment depression types have the gift of depth. So although they can sink into inactivity, if a depression type can know in that moment they need to A, find support, and B, take small steps, small disciplined steps towards self-support, they have that incredible wisdom and insight that comes from living in those deep places that they are able to find solutions that most of us would never in a lifetime see. It reminds me kind of of like love language, right? Like if you tied it into relationships, knowing how you, what you would categorize yourself as is clearly important just for yourself and just to know like how you deal with things, how to anticipate, how to prepare, how to be in the present in a functional way. But like knowing your partner and whether or not this is 
a romantic partner, a business partner, um, any just friends, knowing how they, someone who you relate to closely and, and like on a daily basis, knowing how they react in these situations is like knowing your love language and how you communicate in that way, because you have like that allows you to then help them out or know how you're going to react to how they react because everyone reacts different in a crisis situation and you have to manage your own emotions and then your partner's emotions. So knowing the, this about you and your partner is like probably an essential thing when in a relationship, I would imagine. That is, a, there's a whole chapter on that in, in Welcome to Your Crisis because you know people often pair up with opposite types. And you tend to pair with people who have the same level of neurosis that you do, the same level of injury, but you tend to pair with your opposite. So anxiety pairs often with denial. You know, think of any couple you know, you know, there's one person who just everything's fine. And, you know, there's one person who's a worrier and rage and depression tend to pair up also because depression needs the energy rage supplies and rage needs the grounding and depth that depression does. But what happens, unfortunately, in those relationships, I'm, I'm an anxiety type and I am married to a denial type. And when I wake up in the morning. The first thing I think of is everything that's going to happen, everything that's going to go wrong and everything I need to do. And I want to plan, 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 plan. And my husband wants to stick his head in the ground because he wakes up and all he wants to do is be okay for a while, you know, but reassemble before he's bombarded with my anxiety. I, that triggers me and makes me very upset because I think that's denial. Why aren't we dealing with that? So what happens is when you know your types, you find you find a timing. I give my husband at least an hour in the morning. And then, you know, when he's having his coffee, I, I say, um, would may I, and I pick which of the 10,000 things I want to plan for and discuss, I pick what's most important and I do one. And then he can respond effectively. And and he in turn has learned that he will not get my my wrath if he deals proactively with things instead of waiting until they're catastrophes. So it is so important because what you do is you you trigger each other. You know, um, often anxiety denial types, for example, look like aggressive passive aggressive. You know, um, rage depression types you know, look like the rage, the depression type looks medium, the rage type looks kind of abusive. Whereas actually, they, you just have what each other needs and you need to learn to work with it more. And certainly in, in, in a work environment, you absolutely need to know how people hear information and how to get a yes. Wow. So a couple things. There's like so much again to unpack. It, this is also fascinating. And like Lauren said about, you know, rating these sort of um, labels or classifications to languages of love and just really, it's a way to classify somebody so that we can then better work with them. And I, I like that your descriptions of these different anxiety types, they started off like sounding like they might be a negative descriptor, but then you flip it and make it positive and, and what they actually excel in. Now, what if you don't identify or can't really see how you'd fit into one of those four anxiety types? Because, you know, if you. But you're a denial type. Okay, great. Um, 
Or, and, and if you think you're everything, you're an anxiety type. I mean, it, it really, when you, I've done this with, with, you know, groups of hundreds of people where I don't, I mean, I can, of course, intuitively type anybody, but, but I, but I, I've done this with groups who had to self type of hundreds of people. And I've done this work on thousands of people. And, and when you look back at how you respond when you're overwhelmed, not how you respond to difficulty, because often we respond as all four types when we're responding functionally. But when you respond when you're overwhelmed, when when your defenses crash, there it is always very clearly one of four response styles. And of course, you know, I'm breaking I'm breaking down a 274-page book uh, in simple, you know, in kind of simple terms, but but it 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 is, you know, um, it is important to look at how you have habitually responded to being flooded. And people mistype themselves. You know, a lot of anxiety types think they're rage types because when they're overwhelmed, they're like chihuahuas, you know, but that's not a real rage type. A real rage type blows the house up. Would you say then that it's better to actually match with somebody who has a similar anxiety type than the opposite, then you would understand each other better and maybe work well together in crisis? No, because I I think um, someone once said something to me that was really true about me and my husband. And and she said, she's a neurologist. And she said, you know, between the two of you, you have one complete brain. And we're both genius at what we do. And we're both idiots at what we don't do well. And, you know, uh, first of all, you should pick somebody you love. I think that part of the problem that I see um, just as a teacher and, and, and with the gift of being able to observe tens of thousands of people is that people, people pick their lovers often either from their history or from who, how they want to see themselves, but you need to pick from love. Uh, if you pick a rage type and you love that person, you will be motivated to to work with that person. Um, and it is very important that you know no man is an island and no woman is an island. And it's very important to allow for compensatory things in relationships. I mean, we have my husband. And I have a phrase we have, he'll go, oh, I Laura Day that one. And I'll say, oh, I Stephen Schiff that one. So whenever I don't respond to an email in a millisecond, I'm Stephen Schiffing. And whenever he, he takes a moment to look at the possible downsides, he's Laura Day. That, that is and so cute that you guys, because it, it, it proves you know each other, right? Like you're pointing out like, this is something you do. This is something I do. Like how you respond and how I respond. Like we know the how we work and this is, you know, and it's sometimes it can't always be, especially in a romantic relationship, you don't want to be like nagging somebody or making someone feel um, defensive. Like this is what you do. Um, this is bad. It could also be something that you can take lightly. Like, well, if you're going to like be kind of the denial type, then like, you know, that's a Steven thing. Like it can be kind of, no, I'm not. I'm a I take nothing lightly. <laughs> I will. I will fight it down for control to the mat. 
No, I don't. I think I, I do hear what you're saying. And I do think that part of part of what we do in love is especially when you make a lifelong commitment is you say, OK, this is my person. I'm this person's person. And some things are simply not going to change. And sometimes you're surprised. And I can live with that. You know, I think that it's, it is, it, a psychiatrist once said to me, every man comes into the office saying, oh my God, I love her so much. I hope she never changes when they first meet someone. And every woman comes in saying, oh my God, he's amazing. I'm going to teach him he'll change. <laughs> and, and, you know, a sexist thing to say, but not completely untrue. Um, but I think that that it is important to see you know, love is transcendent, but love is also a contract. And love is a, a state of, you know, all relationship and all life is a state of constant negotiation. I think one of the things in love that really gets in the way, whether you're looking for love or whether you're engaged in a long-term relationship, is that what you say and what you do is about, I don't know, a tenth of, of what goes on. But t- there are... 60 years of verified experiments on telepathy. And now we can really see what the brain does. So we know that person-to-person communication subliminally, but also consciously goes on even at a distance. So if you're saying, and, and, and you know, it's easy to see with children, you know, you see children, we say, oh, you did such a good job, but you're thinking, oh my God, the kid's <laughs> an idiot. The kid is hearing that. It's much better to say that was a much better effort than the last one or, you know, to find something true and positive. And in relationship, what I see happen a lot, and of course, with my students, I work a lot with their relationships because when your relationship isn't good or when you don't have one and you want one, that is the most, I think, heartbreaking thing in the world. And one of the one of the things that goes wrong first and and is 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 most toxic is that subliminal telepathic communication where you're resentful but smiling where you're angry but letting it go where you you know it's where you're saying something inside yourself and something else out you know to the person you really do have to, I mean, I'm not saying everything should be discussed. Everything shouldn't, you know, be discussed. There are times when I ask my husband, does this look nice on me? And I have two minutes to get out of the house where he sure as shit better say yes. Um, but, but, but then he's got to feel it too. He's got to say, wow, that, you know, she's my wife. She looks good enough in anything. Yeah, it's not my favorite dress, but she looks good enough in anything. You know, you have to find the problem with telepathy is that you cannot lie telepathically. So, so you have to find a way that it's true. And in a strange way, it really, really helps with relationship. So if you're in a relationship and, and your partner is doing something that drives you crazy again, and you're saying, you're acting like it's okay, but inside you want to rip their face off, you have to either say, you know what, let's just take a break for a second because this is really bothering me and let's see what we can do about it. Or you need to have a real fight about it. Or, and I think that very frequently because we project in relationships so much, this is the better choice. You just step back and say, you know, um, 
he may not be aware of everything that goes on, but he doesn't make a fuss like I do. He's kind of a, a calm person. He's not doing it again, and it's irritating me because I wish he'd be more aware, but this is actually something I need to appreciate. So then you make a shift, and the person feels the shift. Being seen is the being seen and loved, being seen and accepted is the strongest aphrodisiac there is. That is why we are so bonded to even the you know, the worst, the worst parents, because we have a memory of those moments where all they saw was us and all we saw was them, even if it was a tiny moment. I love when I feel like I'm being listened to and understood. And I think that it's important in like we were just talking about in relationships to understand your partner and how they respond to things because Yes, you can. I mean, I'm like you, Laura, like I'm the type that will fight back too. I think, I think I'm an anxiety type, which probably makes me the anxiety type because I think I'm all of them, but I do think I'm that type. And I am like that in the sense where I will fight back a lot. It's hard for me to let things go and just be calm, but I think it would be helpful to understand my partner's response type. And are those like, four crisis response types are those like the anxiety denial types you just mentioned or are those something specifically else anxiety um and the gift of anxiety is awareness so so when anxiety can manage the neurotic attention point which is often just doing something like working on someone else's problem that's why i love my work i'm working on other people's problems i don't feel anxious their problems Organizing your sock drawer, something that has an end, it patterns for the subconscious an ability to put something in a framework and then awareness will take over and tell you what you need to do. So that is, you know, that is, is it, it's so important. And, and I don't think you need to understand always where someone's coming from. I, I don't understand a lot about my husband because of course we don't see what's closest to us. But I have worked hard over the decade to accept him. And I think he's done the same with me. Acceptance, you know, knowing that that there is always in in every dark side, there's a light side with every piece of damage. There's a superpower and to to really practice acceptance. And when you can't practice acceptance, often it's because if that is your orientation, often it's because there is something that is unacceptable, you know, and, and, but people, people, there's relationships get so tangled and enmeshed that I think that it's very hard for people to experience that. And also working on your own self-acceptance is very, very important. I would love to chime in here relating to that because I think you mentioned at some point how um, a single person who's worried about, you know, when they'll find somebody is one of the sadder things to come by. Um, I would fall within that category. And I know in the past people have said that um, if you are with lack or if you're seeking something and you go on a date, Somebody can read that by your energy and they can tell that you're maybe desperate for a relationship or anxious for a relationship. So at what point do we, A, accept where we're at in our relationship path? And then also, if 
you know, anxiety is not intuition. How can we be intuitive about finding that person? Because I truly have no idea and I don't have a crystal ball when I'm going to meet this person. And I go to, you know, healers and I go to psychics and I go to astrologers and I go to anybody, including my horoscope, friends, my dog, anybody who will tell me something that might give me a sense of peace about when this person might show up in my life. What would you say to all of that? Because that's obviously clearly anxiety. Okay. You, you brought up so many good questions, and I have ADD. I wish I had taken, I wish I had taken notes. Uh, first of all, if you're leading with your neediness and, and someone's picking up on that and they respond in a supportive, loving way, wanting to bond and fill that space well that might be a very nice person i mean we classify emotions my husband my will actually says god forbid if i predecease my husband at my funeral i want someone to find him his next good wife because my husband is incapable of being alone and i accept that and i love him i would never want and when i met him boy oh boy he had just a relationship was just had just fallen apart and 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 he he was gonna fill that space and i'm so i'm so glad because i was one of those people who just wasn't going to trust and he insisted and i'm so lucky that he did and it worked and i responded to it because he just i he, i love this he said to me i'm not a stalker but i'm not going to go away unless you make me and I, and I, and it has truly been the most wonderful relationship of my life because he responded to a need i didn't even know i had but subliminally was being projected. And he was very frank about his need. I mean, literally, I've told my 28-year-old son, God forbid I go first at my funeral, you find him a wife. But, you know, it, 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 we, we learn to be afraid of our need. If you have not found somebody, it is because there is something that you are patterned not to see. And, and it's so important. I mean, we can go into the telepathy too, but I'm going to give you a few pointers. One is make it your goal to find, to find if that's something you really, truly want. And I know when I was single, that's all I wanted. Didn't want fame, didn't want fortune, didn't want, I wanted my son to be well, of course, as a mother, he's always first, but I want, all I wanted was to be a toosie toosie because I am not one of those people who's just happy on her own. You know, a therapist says, well, you need to learn to fill those own needs. I'm like, screw you, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, but but it's, it is really important to make that your goal. And it really was my, my wish in the circle. And in the circle, you always pick a goal because intuition works with the target. My goal was I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. It's part of the Jewish wedding ceremony. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And that was my goal. And, and then from that goal, and I was 50 odd years old, came who would want me? My skin doesn't fit anymore. I'm, you know, I'm set in my ways. I'm in my 50s. Statistics say blah, 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 blah. Um, but there's a lot to be said for putting one foot in front of the other and also engaging engaging contact. So I really, wherever I went, I really worked on being open to allowing someone to come in. And I'm not a very accessible person. And I know that about myself. But I really worked on that. I asked my friends, I said, if you know, 
nice men who have been divorced and have children um, and, you know, are not psychopaths, please introduce me. Um, I, I really, I, I really embraced my neediness. And of course, that's a, that brings up a lot of stuff. And that stuff is a lot of that subconscious uh, tangle that gets in the way of our letting love in because there are, I don't believe in soulmates. There are a gazillion people who I would be happy with and who you would be happy with, but our patterns create blind spots. I picked my parents over and over until I had someone else pick my partner, for example. And I knew that was my blind spot in this relationship. And I really said, to, I said to myself, okay, this is a blind spot someone else needs to pick for me. This is a place I am not capable. I, I, I pick dangerous people. Um, so have a goal, stick with it, put one foot in front of the other. And when stuff comes up, memories, feelings, shame, regret, notice the earliest point you experienced that. And it may not have been in a love relationship. It may have been not being, you know, uh, having your, your graham crackers stolen every day in nursery school. It may be something completely unrelated. But when you allow yourself to be aware of the patterns and don't intellectualize them too much, what happens is the minute you have something conscious, intuition works on it. And then something very interesting happens. And I'm sure we all know what a synchronicity is now. But when you have a goal, when you allow the difficulties to come up, don't repress them. When you, especially as an anxiety type, stop seeking reassurance because there is nobody out there for you. You create your reality. Yes, you can predict the future with a fair degree of accuracy because people don't own their own power. If you want something, own your power to create it. And I always say to my students, I am not, you know, this is my prediction, but frankly, you can only want from your history. Why don't you want from your possibilities? And that's what intuition gives you. So if you don't repress the things that make you anxious, but do something about them, reason them, accept them, work on them, whatever it is you need to do, but go forward with that goal, with that target, with that intent, you not only will you find what you want, the person you want, but you will have worked through the person you were that didn't allow yourself to enjoy love the way that you needed to, or be valued the way that you needed to. And that is the most important thing. Getting what we want is wonderful. I always say The Circle is a book on getting what you want by becoming who you want to be. And becoming who you want to be, that's forever. You know, getting what you want, things happen. But becoming that person who can, that is something that endures. And, and it's an incredible change when you when you can do that. I think readings can be very, very dangerous. And that's why I mostly read corporations. Because for a person, I might be the only voice. Whereas for a corporation, I'm one of many. Uh, going back into some of the things you said, it, we're covering so much. So, and we're short on time, but um, I want to touch more on this um, idea about, you know, putting forth a goal and like, 
you know, we talk all the time about um, dating apps. You, you, you choose a goal, putting forth in something outside of you, and then you become that goal. And that goal may not feel great. You become it. And I wrote a book called Practical Intuition and Love. And one of the most powerful things you can do it's not say, oh, I'm okay alone, which is such common advice and I think so stupid. But, but what you do need to be able to do is find pleasure because when you can send a signal that there is pleasure to be shared, it's like bees to honey. And that is why when you are in love, all of a sudden people come out of the woodwork. The other thing you can do is because you are made of patterns, Go somewhere where your patterns don't hold. That's why a lot of people who, who've been without love for ages go to some very different kind of experience, country, vacation, and they fall in love there because they can't reconstitute their patterns and their blind spots quickly enough. Leave them there for a few weeks, they will. But go on. I'm sorry, I didn't need to interrupt, but I wanted to leave you with that because love is fun. It is fun to work on love. It's painful because it brings up grief and regret and you know, ways we weren't loved and ways we didn't love ourselves, but it's also, it's, it's a delicious process if you allow it to be. And you, I have never seen someone not be able to create what it was they wanted to create. I have not been able to yet. And I think, you know, after past relationships, I've made sure not to repeat patterns so that I like wouldn't continue to date somebody similar that um, triggered certain things for me or brought out bad qualities in me um, or and vice versa. I, I did a lot of um, looking back into how that relationship happened and, and what our, our pain points were. Um, so I've been very clear about not finding that. Um, but what I'm having a hard time is uh, using natural intuitive abilities within dating apps and looking into people and seeing if there is potentially a future. I'm sort of, I guess, not sure how to tap into my intuitive abilities. So I, I might judge quicker than I should, or I might not let things unfold naturally because I, maybe I'm misconstruing my anxiety for my intuition. You're misconstruing your control for your desire to find someone appropriate because Really, the only way with your own life to use intuition effectively is to um, set a target and then just be fully in the process. The when you predict for yourself, it it is there. Your blind spots are still your blind spots. There are sleep things that you can do that I have in the How to Rule the World from Your Couch that you you know you can give yourself a task before sleep and suspend the illusion of separateness. So do something that allows you to feel connected to the world around you and, and often work things through, even meet the person you will meet intuitively in your sleep. But really um, it's, it is when we are stuck in a love pattern, it's our own inflexibility and, and, often control so the desire to know is part of that inflexibility so before um, I, I actually did an article a long time ago on how to use dating apps and and one thing is to um to to be present to to know the experience to to allow the experience 
that you want to have in a love relationship. So not who you're looking for, the experience you want to have, which includes what you want to give. So not it's not an intellectual exercise. It's a I'm sitting here with my with my love, with my person. And what does that feel like? What am I feeling? What am I doing? What am I giving that's being received with appreciation? You know, I, I before um, I, I one of the elements of the circle, which is really how do you engage telepathy and intuition without having a ticker tape of info? Um, and one of the things is ritual. So ritual is really a way to um, to uh, change patterns without even having to know what your pattern is. So, for example, one of my love rituals is I had never made any space in my house for my prior relationship, which I was in for a very long time, literally no space. I took half, I made half space in my closet. I laid an extra plate out at the table, which my son, believe me, at 17, had a field day with. When the house was empty, I danced with him. And 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 then, and it's funny because there, there are all of these things that readied me to actually let someone in in a way that I had not and didn't realize I had not been willing to let somebody in before. So it's, you know, it, it does, it's very important. I think it's not smart, really, to go to psychics to get predictions because often, um, first of all, nobody's 100% right. And second of all, it's you giving away your power. I think it's much smarter to go to someone very intuitive and say, what am I doing? What am I, what's in my past? What's happening now that's getting in the way of me seeing my lover? Because your lover is potentially around you every time you walk out of the house, you know, and, and what, what is getting in the way to take the power in you and not give it to fate? Because there is no fate we create a pattern of energy and that's the energy we live. That energy is something that you're saying we all have the ability to do, that sixth sense, that intuition that you believe we all have. You think that that's something that we can all do, but if we need guidance and help, we can like turn to people like you. First of all, I don't believe. I have taught, I don't know, 100,000, you know, so many in the last 40 years. I have observed. I don't believe, I mean, I do believe, I have beliefs, but that's not one of them. I have observed and, and it is really, I don't think it's good. When people turn to me, I, I very rarely reassure. That's not the kind of work I do. I mean, my, my, my business is to predict the future for companies. Why do I choose? I, I sometimes will predict things for my students, but rarely in love. And the, except when love is coming and they need to be ready for it. And I know they're not. And then I tell them about themselves, not what to expect. Because as you may know, people make, you never know if someone's reading your mind. I mean, you know, when I train intuitives, I train them out of telepathy. But a lot of the psychics are reading your mind. They're reading your fears. They're reading your hopes. It's much more important for you to, to take that control yourself. If this is what you have chosen, you are going to do whatever you do to, to create it. 
and to then deal with what comes up. Because often getting reassurance, by the way, especially for an anxiety type, is simply a distraction to keep you comfortable in your discomfort. That's great. That's great advice. And if people are trying to like, I mean, you have like a ton of books, how to rule the world from your couch, the circle, um, practical intuition, all of those things. If people want to access more of those things, how can they find all of this on your website or even just get in touch with you during all of this like quarantine isolation? So uh, my website's lauranday.com. But I, will, I also give, during, during the, the quarantine, I, I am doing all of my, my workshops free. And so I am, every night, I'm at Laura Day Intuit on Instagram, where we work on whatever issues are important to us using intuition. I do some reading, so do other people. Um, I post a lot of free Zoom workshops. Um, I do one at least every two weeks, because I think that People owning their own intuitive ability really allows them to create whatever they want. And it also makes them more conscientious because we are human beings are alchemists and we are individually far too powerful to assume powerlessness. And I think that that's what we're hearing politically now also. Each individual is too powerful to be allowed to assume powerlessness. That is something to, I think, end on because that's important for us all to remember and to remind ourselves that we should tap into our intuition because that's within us and that is something we can rely on and it creates power within us. So we appreciate you joining us today. Thank you again for um, logging on to our virtual podcast and, and we know that all of this virtual help everyone's getting is definitely beneficial. And, and that is something that is a positive to come out of this year for sure. So everyone, don't forget to tune in next week for an all new episode where we talk more dating and relationshipy stuff. And of course, if you want to join that class of master daters, don't forget to follow us on social media at Complicated Show and It's Complicated wherever you get your podcasts to rate and comment as well as tell a friend. And you can follow me at Lauren Leonelli on all the social meds. And you can find me at Jennifer Golden on all the social meds. We'll be back next week. Love you long time. You're listening to It's Complicated with your hosts, Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. 